Hello and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles. And I'm Alex Collins. <laughs> and this week we are going to have a look back at the North London Derby, which we won, hell yeah, uh, before having a quick look ahead at the Liverpool game, alongside a good friend of the podcast, Danny Kukoran, who also hosts Pure Football, uh, like Reese, who was on last week. But he's not here now, because we're talking about Spurs, and he does not give a shit about Spurs. So we're going to get straight in to the North London Derby before quickly touching on the midweek game against Bodo Glimt, and then chatting to Danny later on. So, after that very, very quick introduction, let's get straight into North London Derby. A 3-1 win at home at the Emirates. Uh, all the Spurs fans on Twitter were like, oh yeah, we we always lose at the Emirates, every single time. Uh, and there were other podcasts that are perhaps more reputable than this one saying that Arsenal were lucky to win, but Screw all that. We were really good, weren't we, Alex? Yeah, I don't really buy the whole, um, like, it, it could have gone either way. I think it's a sort of opinion that kind of comes about because of, like, a Lloris screw-up leading to a Gabi Jesus goal and a, a red card that did kill the game. And then I think Spurs had some, like, moments that kind of looked more promising, I guess, than I think they were. Just because, you know, they're, like, direct balls to Kane and Spurs are used to scoring like goals from nowhere this over the past seasons, even under your, um, Jose Mourinho. Uh, I think overall we were pretty dominant from basically the first minute. Like we were very, very good from the first minute. We had them on the back foot. I think there was like a 10 minute period where we lacked control, um, after their goal that we'll speak about. But overall, I think it was a very dominant performance. I think we also missed certain chances that that we could have like bagged. I think the Gabi Jesus header from close range, where he was left free at the far post, comes to mind. So yeah, overall, very happy. I think it's a fair it's a fair um, result. Yeah, I absolutely agree that it was a fair result. Like we were the better team throughout the football game. Uh, I, I don't agree that the red card killed the game particularly. I think Conte killed the game because of the red card. And I feel like there's a difference there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think I think it stopped them from being able to come back into the game, especially when they were struggling so much, like, to even get really, like, numbers and create those sort of, like, chances that they could break us apart. I think when they went one person down, it was... I had pretty much no... I mean, I said this now, and maybe, like, in another universe you know, Son scored a hat-trick from, from like, a combined 60 yards, but, or 90 yards, but, but I think we were in control, um, and it was just smooth sailing from there. Yeah, and it was, it's nice to have a London derby where it's comfortable. Normally, they're not comfortable experiences. <laughs> Do you know what? This has been my experience of the season. Like, yeah. it's, it's just very weird being an Arsenal fan, and, feeling comfortable like i'll say this i think this isn't the most talented team we've had in the last 10 years in terms of both experience and like you know guys like kazola um Ozil, uh sanchez like in that like 15 16 season i think that was a better team more experienced and um, we were playing some great football but there was always this kind of feeling of vulnerability that i think in my yeah. time experience as an arsenal fan i'm but too young to know the invincibles and stuff really beyond just being alive when it happened i was a kid i've never had this feeling that like it's a really strong team and even when we lost to united like i didn't feel like knocked by it and that's something very new to me as an arsenal fan it kind of felt like we're still we were the better team we're still going to be a great team going forward so there's like this resilience just in terms of like not only like the attitude of the team but just faith in the structure and and yeah arteta general as a as a coach that that is new, and it's really it's really funny that we've done the, we've started this part off, where it's like good times just keep coming because I'm not used to that as an Arsenal fan, and I feel like no. there's a lot more to speak to say when when things are going to shit. 
So yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people <laughs> listening will have similar feelings. Yeah. Like our job right now is just a bask in the glory where I really thought, you know, it would be like a standard Arsenal thing being like, where did it go wrong this week? Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nice. I can't complain. <laughs> it makes it simultaneously easy and hard to make an Arsenal podcast because like yeah. what happened this week same thing as last week we were good yeah it was nice yeah. again yeah <laughs> but, but I do think that uh, there are some things we can probably get into like tactically that were that were nice this match I won't I won't spend too much time on it because we want to have this as a nice free-flowing pod and I think there's I also want to speak about some Arsenal players just in general because this this performance really like just brings guys like Xhaka and Saliba um and Gabi Jesus, for me, again, like, to the fore. But yeah, tactically, I think what was quite cool, um, we we were always going to kind of kind of pin them back, in possession at least. Um, and we played quite a high block, so that that's natural. We pinned them back. We kind of played a 2-5-3 slash 2-3-5 sort of shape, um, which was interesting, the 2-5-3 in particular, kind of moving into that 2-3. Three five. So we really used our wide players just to create that width and pin their win back wing backs back, and I think it worked really well. I think Spurs. I was expecting you know to be very comfortable sitting deep out of possession, but what we and kind of just being very very tough to break down. But what I really liked is how we kind of used those front three of which Jaka was actually basically. If if I had to say someone was kind of our center forward this game, it was Jaka, especially in the first half. Kind of, we use them just to pin back their their team and kind of create hold them in the box, and then that's fine. There was no real space for us to actually find them, especially from the wide guys. I think they dealt with that quite well. But what it did open up is it opened up this sort of like bank in front of the box where we where we got. But it, that's where the first goal came from, first of all. Um, but we already had two, three really good shots from that range with a lot of space. Um, just because their their backline was pinned to create that sort of space for us to take these pretty high quality um, shots from, and I think, yeah, I think it was just a nice way that like we kind of either way we, they were kind of pinned because if they try to push out, which they actually did, we'll get to it. Maybe I'm I'm going a little bit ahead of myself, but if we look at the Gabriel Jesus goal second, um, in the second half, right, part of the reason that happened is that there was the space between like their backline just inside the box where Saka could get that shot off and then Gabi Jesus could find him free. So we kind of saw like either they kind of pushed onto us and created that space just to create that chaos in the box to get those goals off or we, we had that space in front. And I think just the way we controlled the goal, especially if you look at that first goal, like what, it was like 21, 25, something crazy pass move that each pass felt really deliberate and really controlled. Um, yeah, we were just in, we were in control. It's it's one of those like that first pass and a lot of the first half, we were doing that thing that Arsenal teams and Manchester City teams of the past have had the piss ripped out of them for, which is kind of passing in a semicircle around the box. Uh, but it felt it didn't feel particularly bad. Like it felt like yeah. that was on purpose and intentional because we spoke on the preview pod last week about how Spurs were going to have control of the box. We said that, we acknowledged it, and Arteta seemed to know that as well. And he went, okay, fine, you have the box. We will have the area outside the box, and you will not leave the box for the entirety of the first half. And they pretty much didn't, uh, which was very cool. Uh, and we did. We took the opportunity that they gave us to get shots off to score that first goal. Yeah, I think it suits our general style of play, right? I mean, we, we can speak about that sort of semicircle, but like in past seasons under Arteta before and especially under Emery, it like I think I can't remember who called it. I think it might have been Alex Stewart from formerly of Tifo now of well, Analytics FC. He called it the U of Death. And I always I always think that that's a great way of describing it because it just feels like you lack you can move it from one side to the other in that like sort of pendulum way, but like you really lack any way of like exposing that but now we have especially with just creating like a little bit more of a support structure for short passes to move the ball from one side to the other quicker or change like kind of against the grain at times right um with our inverted like wingbacks we have a really nice structure that actually is much more pep like even if it is still a lot of like hard lateral passes it was into really really good areas players were finding like positions and pockets without being pressed 
Um, and it was creating a lot of issues for Spurs. I think it was really good. Yeah, um, it was a U of death, but the death was of Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. So what I was scared, what I was scared of is was obviously um, when when we camp and we have like a high block, like in possession, right? Because we need to to kind of have that possession of try and mm. pick them apart. I was worried about them on the counter, um, which is I think what what a lot of Spurs fans are saying. Oh, we could have scored one or two of these. I don't think that that we really could have. So it was kind of interesting, like how we had that counter. Um, obviously it had to be like an aggressive counter press, but I kind of feel like what we do is we have like Saliba and stuff covering space behind and he's been so important to that. It was really just interesting, like how, when we lost the ball, we kind of allowed them to, to have like that one guy going man for, you know, against Saliba, for example, maybe Gabriel in less ideal situations. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like the the gamble that we took maybe because you have to you have to make some sort of compromises and gambles i think like even Klopp speaking about like the gamble he takes with with trent being positioned so high up the other week it's kind of like it's something that any manager has to do but i think it was a really well-placed one because the service just wasn't necessarily there and also when we, they were getting the ball they, they were getting it so early that there was only really one guy ahead of it so they had to play that ball early and then you're getting like kane on the ball or not like 35, 40 yards from goal. Yeah, that, that, that was the thing about how... Note, this is wild conjecture. Alex may think I'm wrong. Uh, but, like, because Spurs <laughs> were so far back in their box, like, when mm. they tried to break, they were kind of breaking just into our half, and, like, they were still very isolated. 100%. Like but yeah. when... like, And if we look back at the United game, where United got counters on against us very, very effectively. Like, their counter goals came... Like, Ericsson was playing the through ball to Rashford from the middle third. Like, yeah. still in the United half, but not near the United box, like, by the halfway line. And Spurs were starting their counters, like, 20, 30 yards further back, which meant that they got stopped a lot easier. Yeah, I think you've said that a lot more smartly than, than I did. But yeah, basically, <laughs> I agree. Um, what was interesting, though, is I was expecting Spurs to to kind of play out the, the way that they have been. But they were going long from, like, goal kicks and stuff quite a mm. lot more than I was expecting, which was interesting. Another thing that I've been kind of thinking about is, like, how the, how we allowed them when they played short. What happens is with this, like, we were talking about automatism so much last week. feel like we were spamming it. But basically, when you have all these combinations, they move out very slickly, very vertically. They did they did a couple times quite nicely. I think one was at, like, 13 minutes was the first time. Sorry if you can hear my pages moving. Um, where they just kind of cut through us really nicely. But what happens is you kind of run out of these combinations by the time they got to the halfway line. And I think this has been a problem for Spurs the whole way through the season, is that they do cut through teams into into the opposition half really well, but then they've almost like run out of string in terms yeah. of like those combinations that they've had. Like you don't want to get into the half, but I mean you do, <laughs> but you want to get into the opposition third. Like you gotta they gotta move everything up the pitch by that yeah. time. They they basically run out of structure by the time they get up there, which is which is different. I think this is something we do really, really well. What we do is we don't really run out of structure in the way that I think they do that allows us to kind of maintain that control when we get into the opposition half. Yeah. And actually, I think we can maybe speak about the second goal just now. Uh, not mm -hmm. the second goal, their equalizer, right? But I think what was like a big topic um, was the lack of control we had. Or like how we kind of look rattled in that 10-minute period after they scored. So like from 30 to 40 minutes before we kind of regathered ourselves in the half. And at the time, I mean, when I was watching, I thought we looked rattled. I thought, I was like, what is happening here? Um, watching it back, it wasn't nearly as bad as I, as I thought at the time. But obviously it wasn't great. We did kind of lack control. And basically, I think the main problem here wasn't so much like a mental thing or like feeling like being hit back into our show. We just kind of try to rush our way back into the game. Like try to, you know, how we were speaking earlier in the season, how we keep trying to hit teams like immediately after we concede hmm. we were kind of trying to do that but we weren't allowing ourselves to like set up our structure to kind of i want to say like cook them right in their yeah. own half and that's basically what was happening was we we're moving the ball too quick we we're creating these transitional moments that they started to really thrive on and we weren't building up like when we build in possession we always have like a really good rest defense or like basically thing in case we concede and that's what we weren't doing yeah, because that's the thing about the the U of death is that it's not quick by definition. 
and when you're trying to score quick you can't really set up the thing that works yeah exactly um but yeah i think that was basically the issue and we kind of did settle it after about 10 minutes but we we were we were under the cuff for about 10 minutes and then i think that was the only period Mm. maybe we should speak about their goal Um, yeah i think before we get onto that i think it's kind of a power of hindsight thing i don't know uh like the way the way that you feel obviously about on rewatch uh that period because it obviously it felt a lot more nervy at the time we didn't know that we were going to go on to win 3-1 so I, I feel like maybe it would have felt a little bit different at the time maybe the players would have felt a little yeah, bit different yeah i, I mean know. maybe maybe it's a, a hindsight thing but i think it's a, it's a benefit of hindsight i think at the time like i was stressed so i was like these guys must be stressed too like yeah. you know what i mean but i didn't i didn't watching it back i didn't get the sense that we 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 were panic panicky maybe a little bit there were a couple of moments, like a little bit of confusion between Xhaka and Gabriel once or twice, especially in terms of who's going to play the pass out, who's going to try clear it. But but overall, I think we were just we were rushing it a bit too much. Where we could she should have just taken like two minutes, set up that structure, go again, and try you know play pick them apart as we had done. Speaking of rash decisions, let's talk about giving away the penalty. <laughs> um yeah, shame. I feel like I'm every week I come on here to defend Gabriel for like some sort of. Fuck yeah. Up. Um. <laughs> so, I I was thinking about this earlier because I saw some people on Twitter talking about Gabriel and like saying how he's the weak link in our defense and he's not good enough. And I just want to kind of turn that on its head a little bit and think about how wild it is that in two years Gabriel has gone from being like the one piece of our defense that is good and like he's come in and been like so calm and measured and fixed our defense to being the weak link. And I think the fact that we see Gabriel as the weak link is not a slight on him so much as it is a consequence of how quickly we've gotten better over the last couple of years. Because I remember when we, when he first came in and everyone was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. We've got an actual centre-back for once. Yeah, so I was a big fan of him coming in. And then I remember the first six months before people were going a little bit overboard on him, which is mm-hmm. natural. I think people are going to start being like coming on to... Sinchenko for his like defensive deficiencies and stuff as time goes on but I 100% agree with what you're saying like the fact that I think he probably is the weakest player on our team right maybe Ramsdale because Ramsdale makes a lot of mistakes like it's between the two of them but I think Ramsdale has a lot higher upside I think Ramsdale's gonna be a good player basically um but I think Gabriel's really good and I think I agree with you that that's that that's basically where we are we have a good team at the moment um I also think he doesn't always have the easiest job um yeah and so I think covers was, Zinchenko, who's halfway up the pitch in midfield and it's, it's worth saying last season ben white came into the team and was making some rash decisions i think ben white look, looks really good in the current position and looked really good in the run-in last season when he wasn't injured mm. um but gabriel was kind of covering from him at times and now he looks a little bit weaker if we look at the goal itself i know a lot of people were critical of him like dealing with it getting into the box i think he did well uncharacteristically usually i think he's rash when he's far from goal that he just tries to do make some big decision i think he handled it well like as well as he can as a player of his quality like he's not someone who can nip in quickly and catch the ball so i think he held a good position i think it's once it got into the box where gabriel is usually a bit smarter that just that committing to that that challenge i think was pretty bad um so yeah i mean he he is like the asterisk but it's really about like whether he's a title-winning centre-back rather than, like, a top-four centre-back for me. Like, yeah. I think he's a good player. A really good player, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, I'm fond of him, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we, we might both be having rose-tinted glasses on here, but I, I feel like he, he's still good, guys. Like, and I think yeah. un- unless we get to sell him to Winter for £60 million pounds or whatever... Well, um, I mean... There was uh, that Juventus like yeah. rumor that they wanted him for fifty million. I thought that's a fine price to sell. Yeah, exactly. Like, if like, if we get the replacement in, but yeah, yeah. Like, unless we're selling him for that level of money, I feel like Gabriel could be like a big piece of our squad for the next while. Yeah. Let Let's move on about this and not fantasize about Arsenal winning the title just yet, <laughs> um, and talk about uh, Gabriel's defensive partner, who William Saliba makes Gabriel look bad in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very happy. I won't like I'll admit like 
I've been looking so forward to Saliba actually finally playing for us after years of being like his biggest stan that I was actually stressed this season because I was like, he's going to make mistakes um, and like people are going to get on him. So I was trying to like cool like expectations, but he's actually been, I think he's like playing some of the best football I've ever seen him play. So yeah, I've I've been very impressed. I mean, the one thing I did say not to like big myself up is I like people were speaking about how good a progressive pass he was and stuff last season that's never been what he's really talented at I think it's perfectly good as a modern centre-back who can pass and he does have some nice little ability to split the lines and stuff I think it's his disguised passing is probably the best part of his passing but I think I think just looking at how good he is under pressure has been like huge for us just having that comfort that ability to receive and turn quickly um it just changes, like, it just changes the game for us. Uh, he's really good at that, I think. Also, probably the most important part of it is just something that I probably should have thought about when we were kind of deciding before the season started, like, who are, like, what are the key attributes that Arteta's going to want from his centre-backs? Didn't really take into account just how much better um, Saliba is as a sweeper player compared to anyone else. And that means, basically, mm. even though we have that block that can counter-press really aggressively. If they break that block, we still have Saliba, who's really good. A, he's quick. He's just really yeah. quick. Um, he's really good at, at timing his challenges. And he's really good at taking up good positions to kind of jockey players out wide and like allow the, the team to get back into shape. And that's been huge for us. I mean, we, we are really hard to break down even when we're in like... Maybe not really hard to break down. We're really hard to like take advantage of when we're in periods where like we're out of shape. Or we've been broken through. Mm. And Saliba's a huge part of that. I mean, yeah, it's maybe the most important thing we have in our defense at the moment. I, I do want, as much as you're right, and I agree, I, I do want to caveat that with the fact that we only see this when he has a competent de- defensive midfielder in front of him. Like, yeah. a, as good a sweeper as he is, and as good a sweeper as anyone is, like, you could plug, like, a robot whose one job yeah. is defensive sweeping into a backline, and if they had current Albert Samley Lecombe in front of them, they'd still concede those goals that we conceded to Manchester United. And that's fine. I, 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 I'm just I'm anticipating the comments we're going to get where it's like, but why didn't he stop the yeah. comments? Or stop, stop the <laughs> United counters? Because we still need a defensive midfielder. The best centre-backs in the world still need a defensive midfielder. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think I did. Maybe, maybe I'm going too strong. But like, <laughs> allow me, allow me. But um, but yeah, I do agree. I think the United game, like one of those counters was pretty much perfect in terms of the two passes to take the team out. And also it's really hard when you have to kind of account for all of that space, right? You can only do so much. But yeah, no, I do agree. Maybe I've gone too hard, too high on him. But he, he is amazing. And I, I, I just, I'm, I know what centre-back discourse is like. And a lot of people... Talk, yeah, uh, like like we, we've seen it recently with um with, with Manchester United and with Liverpool especially. It's like Van Dijk's amazing until all the midfielders ahead of him in, are injured and then he's crap. Wow, what a surprise! <laughs> like I I I just want to be clear that like we we can't expect Saliba to fix everything by himself when the structure ahead of him is broken, which it ha- which happens sometimes. And there will there will be mistakes. I still find him a little bit sus in dealing with aerial balls, even even for their for their um their penalty incident. Right, I think he didn't header it away amazingly. I wouldn't say it was a, a mistake on his part, but like that's something he's not always the best in. Like just getting the ball away in aerial situations. I think he's much better than I've seen in his time at like basically all three French clubs he played for. He's looking better already, which is really encouraging. But yeah, there are problems. There are mistakes and. I'm sure that's going to come back to Biden, but so far he's been amazing. Let's quickly touch on Bukayo Saka because uh, you're you're going to have very in-depth tactical analysis of what Bukayo Saka is doing. But the thing that I've noticed in this game that was different to perhaps the other games that we've seen this season is that Bukayo Saka is much more of a dribbly boy, uh, which is really nice because he's really good on the ball. I think he's always been a dribbly guy, though. No? Like he's, he has always been a dribbly guy. I just don't think we've seen it much this season, apart from, like, this This game was the first game I noticed him carrying the ball, beating players that much. 
I'll say I think it's because they were camped back so much and they yeah. weren't trying to like push up because Saka likes those sort of one twos and basically there was no need to kind of like quickly pass the ball off and find that space in behind because A, they weren't giving him space in behind. Um, little pockets or no. lots of space either, right? Um, and yeah, he's someone who does like to hold on to the ball when he can. Um, so he can kind of, kind of come in and, and yeah, take beat a couple shots. guys, then play a pass, take a shot. Yeah, but there were some, there were some really good dribbling moments that I was impressed with. I didn't even actually necessarily pick up with them on the first watch, but there was one where he received, took a nice like little turn and took out both, um, who would have been Perisic and I think whoever their left centre back was might have been Dyer. No, it wasn't Dyer. It was Longley. Yeah, um, yeah, took him, took them out really well. So yeah, he had some really good moments. Still, I, I think he had an amazing first half for what it's worth. Still though, like. What it, what like frustrates me about him because it's because I regard him so highly in terms of like how smart he is as a player is his decision making still it irks me because often he's taking too long to kind of to play the pass or take the shots and he kind of he allows that moment to pass and it's just one of those things where like that's fine this guy's 20 21 years old um but it's when it clicks his output's going to go up a lot there were there were a couple moments where like Gabi Jesus was peeling off and Saka, Saka could have tried to play the ball in, but he was still kind of trying to manufacture a shot for himself. And I think it's normal um, for where he is. But but yeah, basically, once he kind of clicks that decision-making, and I really feel like it will be a sort of a, a click moment for him, I think it's going to be be massive for both his goal scoring and and his um, more so hit, like the key passes that he can play. We, we spent a lot of time recently talking about how... Talking about Arsenal in big games and how we struggled in the past and we struggled against United. But this one was this one was almost easy. Like we were fine. Uh, yeah. how 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 does that make you feel like going into well, these next run of games with Liverpool and City coming up, but like the season as a whole? I won't lie, I'm I'm naturally a coward, so I think every game <laughs> I, I, I can see the worst thing happening. I can see Darwin Nunez scoring two on our back post ten minutes into the game. But I think I've never been so confident ahead of a Liverpool game like ever, basically. Mm. And even that's even when Liverpool was shit. They've <laughs> always kind of had that ability to like tear us apart yeah. for no reason at all, right? Having um, nightmares about Fabio Barini at the back stick. Yeah, I'm <laughs> even remembering like that like 2-1 loss or something 10 minutes into extra time, like 10 years ago. They've been terrorizing <laughs> us for way too long. Um, but yeah, no, I'm actually pretty confident ahead of it I think obviously that comes from them being in a particularly bad spot right now I'm interested to see what Danny thinks and feels about it but but yeah I feel good I'm, I'm also very excited to see us and how we deal versus City because I think that's going to be I don't think we're in a title race let me let me say that no. maybe I, I'm, I'm too I know but I've seen lots of Arsenal fans say that I think we're in a we're, we're comfortably in a top four race which, which was our aim going into the season right but I still think we can cause problems for City, and I think we we showed that last season with a less talented, um, less developed team. So yeah, I, I back us in these games, which is which is new. Before we ask Danny to come on, let's quickly look ahead to the Europa League game this weekend against Bodo Glimt. Uh, now we're not going to talk about this for very long. Because, uh, and a little peek behind the curtain here, when we were first planning this episode, uh, we were planning to record on Wednesday night and release on Friday. But then, because of increases in my free time this evening, uh, you should be listening to this on Thursday afternoon if, if you're listening when it first comes out. So Ooh. we're gonna, we were planning on ignoring this game completely because by the time the pod came out, it would be done. But it's not gonna be done. <laughs> so let's have a quick look at it. Um, we're not gonna talk about it for very long at all, uh, but I just wanna know um, what, what are you wanting to see in the game tomorrow? Today, when it, it comes out? <laughs> Eddie and Ketcher, Fabio Vieira. Yeah, and I don't want to see Saka at all. Um, please. I don't want to see Gabriel Martinelli either. I'm terrified that he's going to break down at some point. Yeah, I'm excited to see Marquinhos and stuff, but mainly I'm not going to lie. Eddie and, and Fabio Vieira are the two guys that I'm, that I'm looking forward to seeing. And maybe some guys off the bench. It would be lovely. I mean, look, Bodo Glimt are a good team. Um, and they're often, like, they're giant killers for a reason. So let's not, you know. Let's not assume this is gonna be an easy walk through the park, but but well, yeah, it would be nice to see some some um debuts from like guys like Matt Smith, um who's mm. never played for us still. He always feels no, like he, yeah. 
it always feels like he's made an appearance somewhere, but he's 21 now. He's probably going to leave at the end of the season, but I, I still like to see him play. He, he feels like he must hold, like, like, or at least be pretty close to, like, the highest, the, like, PL2 appearance record at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, see some see some debuts for guys. I don't think Nwanieri is even old enough to be allowed to play in, in Europe, by the way. I think really? Be, wow. I think, I think you have to be 16. I could be talking shit hmm. here, but I think I think he's too young to play, so... We'll have to start him in the next in the next Premier League game then. But but yeah, some some debuts would be nice, and not seeing any senior starters. So basically, yeah. Hmm. My football manager game let me start a fifteen year old in the Champions League, so I assume that's counts for real life. Yeah, then I must be talking <laughs> rubbish. I, I I know that's a wild comparison to make, but it's that's <laughs> yeah, that's the reference point well, that like I have. That, that's, that's, you know, that solves it. We're in area ten tomorrow. That's yeah. what I'm expecting to uh, see. Yeah. Fabi V on the right, yeah. uh, Marquinhos on the left, let's go. <laughs> do you have a score prediction? I, I, I love making you do these. I yeah, I hate, I hate that you make me do these. You know what, this one's <laughs> gonna come back to bite us, because I'm gonna say like I don't know, let me say three nil. But now, if we lose, I'm 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 purely That's blaming right. you. I, I'm going to predict that we lose two one, uh, just to even it out because <laughs> the universe loves proving me wrong. That, that's, so, a, that's a four two win on aggregate, so I think we're still safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, regardless of the score tomorrow, one of us will be wrong, or or maybe both of us are wrong, and it's a nil nil draw. We'll see. <laughs> Let's talk to Danny. We are now joined by Danny Corcoran, who came into this uh, Zoom call and immediately told me that I pronounced his surname wrong in the intro. So I'm sorry, Danny. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And that it's okay because it's nobody gets it right first time. Not even people <laughs> where I live. So, <laughs> so uh, let's get straight into it. Liverpool have been having a season. I think it's fair to say. Uh, everyone was talking about. So, so last season, in hindsight, increasingly looks like the season, if you will, for this crop of Liverpool players. They very, very nearly won the quadruple, falling at the final hurdle, both in the league and in the Champions League. Uh, and everyone thought they were just going to keep on rolling, keep the good times rolling into this season, have one more great year. It looked like the slow rebuild was going well uh, with the likes of... Luis Diaz obviously joining in January, Fabio Carvalho coming in, getting integrated, and losing one of that famous front three, Sadio Mane going to Bayern. Uh, but it turns out that when all your midfielders are old, sometimes they get injured. And then when all your midfielders are injured, that leads to you being a bad football team. Yeah, I think there's more problems there than just the midfield, but I think it's the major issue. I mean, the three players that ideally would start for a lot of people, and Fabinho, Thiago, and Henderson are old now, and some of, some of them haven't been the most reliable anyway in their career for injuries, so like Henderson and Thiago are constantly out. Obviously, we wanted Chouameni in the summer, but he ended up at Real Madrid, and we went for the whole, well, if we can't get our number one target, we'll wait for our next number one target in Bellingham, and signed Arthur on deadline day, which was panic, obviously, after the start of the season, but the whole model kind of banked on us getting in that number one guy, and that's not happened, and now we have an old midfield that's not really capable of running or covering as much as it should have. <laughs> so so how, how are you feeling about Liverpool's opening to the season? It's been punctuated by disappointing performances and then a 9-0 win against Bournemouth. Yeah, not very, not very good. Um I mean, we started off really well in the Community Shield, which obviously it's just a glorified friendly, but it is up against City. And I think the intensity was there in that game. Uh, obviously, Darwin Nunez scored twice and looked really good. But then since then, it's just nothing has clicked. So we've stuck to the same 4-3-3 that we've always kind of used. And that's not working. The midfield isn't intense enough. It doesn't track runners so people get through, and then the defenders haven't been in sync. So I think Klopp talked the other day about the timing was off with defenders, so if one guy goes, then the timing goes out of sync. And we've seen that quite a lot. I mean, Trent's been heavily criticised for how he started the season, but even players like Matip and Van Dijk, sometimes they push up 
sometimes they stand off and then they're not in sync with the guy next to them and that's just left really high quality chances for, for the other teams to get. So yeah, it's been a mess really. Um, there are some good signs going forward. I think we've scored more uh, this time this season than we had last season. But obviously with the defensive frailties, we've given up quite a lot of goals, especially three at home to Brighton. Whatever happened in that Napoli away game was horrific. So yeah, not good. But there are signs that we have noticed what to do. I mean, if we look at last night, we changed it and it looked a lot better. So yeah, I think I think there are signs that we're not completely gone, but I mean the title can't even really be in contention anymore just because how many points we've dropped already. Yeah, this Arsenal super team's you know it's a hard one to stop. So <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I I get that completely. Um, I was actually interested in kind of asking though is that like where do you guys kind of see like recovering to what kind of level do you think you guys are going to go back to being like the team that you were last season-ish like roughly do you think you still have that level or do you think that that's actually like your your cycle has passed especially with guys like Fabinho who's kind of like dropped off I still think Van Dijk was the best center back in the league last season I haven't watched enough of you guys this season is he like dropped off a little bit again obviously last season it wasn't even his peak but all of these kind of dropping off maybe Salah as well do you think that there's like a new hard cap on how good you guys are or is is it actually still recoverable? I think it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I think uh, there is refreshing of the squad needed to sort of reach those highs again. But at the same time, we've seen sort of, I'll use Manny as an example last year for the first like three or four months of the season, he looked absolutely like his best days were done. And then, Diaz came in and in January, Manny shifted central and was probably our best attacker, apart from Diaz maybe in that last six months. So it it remains to be seen. I think a, a few of the problems with the players is, is Fabinho in particular doesn't get a rest. There's nobody to cover for him. So he's played so much football. And even though he's 29, I think, his legs for the past few years have done the running that has aged him a wee bit. So this season, I think there's certainly a ceiling on us. From there, I think there are still some really good parts of the team going forward that it is recoverable but by just building the squad sort of a tiny bit more in January and in the summer. On the assumption that what you're doing now is broken and needs fixing... Uh, what do you think needs to change tactically for Liverpool to even approach the level that they were reaching last season? Like, what do you think you can do with what you've got to make yourselves better? Um, I think we saw it last night, as in, if we're saying what we've got right now, then we need to kind of compensate for the lack of legs in that midfield. So uh, last night against Rangers, we switched to, uh, I think a lot of people thought it was a 4-2-3-1. I think Klopp was pretty adamant it was a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-2-2, whatever you want to call it. Whereas you've got Thiago and Henderson sitting in a double pivot and not running forward as much. So like a big criticism of Henderson is that he's a bit headless chicken. He'll just push up and then he won't cover the runner. He doesn't have the legs for that anymore. That system sort of forced him to be a lot more disciplined. So there was times last night that, that Trent would comp- push completely up and... and kind of tuck into that half space where he likes to operate and Henderson would drop right back into that sort of right back role. So Rangers turned the ball over and there was a player there. And what we've seen this season in the 4-3-3 is if Trent loses the ball or if someone loses the ball on that right-hand side and the other team breaks, there's nobody there. So yeah, I think I think this season the switch to sort of that double pivot is kind of key to us getting back. I do have questions about how good it will be or if it might be vulnerable against better teams, which I guess we'll see on Sunday, because at the end of the day, it is, <laughs> it is Rangers. And my, my Celtic allegiances aside, they've not been great this season either. So, yeah, I think the switch is kind of necessary because we can get a lot of attacking talent on the pitch, which is what we've got a lot of, and we can kind of compensate for the legs in midfield, but it does leave us thin in the midfield. I assume Fabinho would be someone that you would normally have 
instead of Henderson in that four four two, right? Yeah, ideally we've got Thiago and and Hender uh, and Fabinho. Sorry. Yeah. Also, do you think you would play it versus us? I mean, I I would assume you guys go back to four three three. I assumed that too last night. I thought, yeah, we'll go back to that. But then certain things Klopp said made it seem like it won't be the case and that we will stick to this this sort of four four two against Arsenal and for the future because he. Like, I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but he said something along the lines of, it has been broken, um, we need to do something to fix it longer term. So with how we played last night and just sort of how bad we have looked this season, I think we might just go for it. That's very interesting. Okay. I, I actually hadn't expected that at all. I think it's a bit, I'm a bit on the spot here, but I'm trying to think how that would like match up versus us. And I think... You know, in transition moments, we could hurt you. And I think in possession, we could hurt you, right? Um, but I'm trying to think about, like, Jota and Nunez going up against um, Saliba and Gabriel. Feels like something I'm not totally comfortable with just from, like, the type of players that I think can cause both of the, uh, those players' problems. Saliba on his day depends. Sometimes I think he can lock up um, one of those, like, hustly-bustly types of forwards very, very easily. But obviously, we spoke about this already on this pod and in previous ones. But like, aerially, I think he could really struggle. And Jota's good in the air, but especially Nunez is someone who can really go up body on body against a guy. So so that doesn't make me feel great. And then just Gabriel dealing with some, with guys with that kind of physical intensity. It does, I can kind of see like how it could work. Um, I guess it just depends on like the kind of support that we would bring with, you know, guys like like Ben White maybe tucking in a little bit more to kind of give us those superiorities. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting thing to kind of consider, I guess. I think from our viewpoint as well is that when we have those four guys on the pitch up front, so... Uh, what's, his, what's his name? I've completely... Um, Darwin Nunez. <laughs> I have no idea how I forgot his name because it's all anyone talks about in Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Nunez, Diaz, Jota and Salah like the only one that kind of sticks to the one thing is Salah like he will tuck himself out on the right hand side but I was looking at like the heat maps from last night and I mean Nunez likes to play off the left wing which he did at Benfica Diaz likes to come mm-hmm. in central spaces Jota dro- oh, okay, drops okay. into like everywhere and obviously Jota quite likes playing against Arsenal and so does Firmino. So it'll be in, obviously that's Arsenal teams of the past, but they do have good records against them. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. if Firmino comes in as well. Yeah, I can see Firmino kind of being the one that maybe replaces Nunez um, or Jota potentially, and gives you guys a little bit more control and like kind of finding those pockets as well. I do want to quickly talk about Nunez if that's all right, because as you alluded to. A lot has been made of him in his first few weeks, couple months as a Liverpool player. So I'm interested to hear what you make of him. Yeah, I think obviously there's been a lot of criticism. I think a lot of it is harsh because he's only played like, he's played like less than 250 minutes for Liverpool so far this season, obviously. <laughs> a, big, a big part of that was him headbutting someone, which isn't great. But <laughs> <laughs> like, I think... Uh, over, I was speaking to someone about this. I think overall as a team, we just look a lot better with him on the pitch, which is a big plus. So like he is just for all his rawness and build up, and that he is really raw. Like his first touch can be lacking sometimes. He cannot look up, but like just as like a sort of physical like his runs, his movement, the way he can like dominate someone physically, it just opens up so much more space attacking wise for for us. And like last night, he was, oh, it was. I think he's pretty unlucky not to score. I think his finishings looked a bit unconfident, which is no surprise considering he's been like blasted online. I, I've I also heard that he actually had like issues with that in terms of like the the social media like pressure he's kind of come under. That's sad. I think on BT Sport last night they interviewed Henderson after the game, and he had said that like. Obviously, the, in the camp, they've tried not to look at social media, but it does affect them. So, like, guys like Darwin and Trent, like, they've been absolutely slated online. And I think for the fact that he didn't score, he was great. And he's, I think he shot, like, he had five sh- shots on target. 
I mean, he probably should have scored a few of them, but Alan McGregor was also on the form of his life, so on another day he scores. But overall, I'm really confident about how it'll go long term. I think it's just a case of him getting used to it. I mean, he still doesn't understand Klopp. I think that was a quote that came out this morning. So, like, he doesn't know what he's saying yeah. tactically. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's like, Darwin Nunes is like, yeah, yeah I, like, this guy's talking in team talks and I don't have a fucking clue what he's saying. I'm sure it's cool, though. That's like, basically what he said. So, I think that's, a, like, another thing that gets overlooked with, like, obviously Haaland's, like, a much better player than Darwin Nunes, but Haaland also was born in, like, Leeds and speaks English and, like, is part of that culture. Darwin Nunez is Uruguayan and has lived in Spanish and Portuguese speaking countries his whole life and he's moved to Liverpool. Like it's a lot different for him. Yeah, I wouldn't like I'm I'm a big fan of Darwin from like the bits I watched last he's just that that type of like high intensity player. I mean I think the Cavani links like comparisons do hold weight to some extent. I think he's maybe he's not he's not I don't think anyone's really the kind of mover that that Cavani is, but they have the same sort of like intensity about the way they play, and I, and he has a, I think he has good movement. I was surprised to hear that his his XG actually wasn't that good in Portugal last year, and it was a big overperformance. I'm not sure if that's, yeah, I was surprised to hear that because he he looks like a good mover to me. So yeah, I'm I think he's gonna be good. I've already said it to Towels, like I'm convinced he's gonna score like two goals versus us tomorrow. I mean not tomorrow on Sunday, whatever happens. So so yeah, he's probably the player I'm most frightened of from you guys maybe just also because he has that sort of like um profile that that has caused us problems in the parts especially like Nunez on Gabriel feels like there could be a red card one way or the other so so yeah <laughs> I think with that that it's like there was like something early on last night um where he just Nunez just squared off with like Connor Goldson really early on and I think he started yeah. set pa- <laughs> panic off in Liverpool fans again because he he is that like fiery like will get red cards probably in the future because i don't see him really calming down in that sense no he's like a he's very mitrovici in that isn't he like he plays right on the edge emotionally all the time so it takes this much thing is though is like guys like mitrovic and and costa you get the, the sense that they they're the ones in control of those situations whereas like with someone like nunez or darwin i think Nunez or Darwin, there's one guy. I think that, that there's less. <laughs> now, now I agree with you, but I, I feel like Metro, especially at the start of his career at Newcastle, like he was hot, like that hot-headed yeah. guy who gets sent off twice a season, yeah. and like he's grown to control that. So I think like your highest hope as a Liverpool fan is that he stops being that bastard who gets sent off twice a game and starts being that bastard who centre backs just hate playing against. Yeah, I think that's a, that is a learning curve for him. I don't know what his disciplinary record was like at Benfica or even before that in um, Almeria, I think he was at. But I think you sort of kind of accept it in a way because you know it will pay off in situations. Like, he gets really fired up to, like, big crowds and he's, like, sort of this player that will play to the occasion, which can be a hindrance, but it can be good. And I think especially at a club like Liverpool who kind of buy into this whole, like atmosphere thing in the big games and sort of you've got like that Anfield like on a Champions League night he will he is someone that will like use that and it might go against him when you've got guys winding him up consistently but it can also go the other way and it can kind of inspire him to go up go up a little so just on that I'm I'm interested if you think if you would start him on Sunday and actually gen in general like if you were in charge of the team what what team would you pick and maybe how how does that go against who you're expecting to be picked? Yeah, I think that... I don't know. I think I would pick the 4-4-2 again. Um, I would pick the same back line um, just because of fitness. I think ideally if Kanate was not just back in training, then I would start him over Matip. And I think... So who, who is that same back line? So that is Simicass, Van Dijk, Matip, Trent. Um, and obviously Allison and goals. Um, I think in an ideal world, I'd start Robertson because I just kind of prefer him, not that I'm Scottish, I just prefer him as a player to Simicass. Uh, and I prefer Kanate because I think Kanate last season was one of the best centre-backs in the world and he's just this sort of 
physical dominating force which Van Dyke is as well and if you have two of them it, it almost seems like unbreachable at times and then Trent because it's Trent and even though he's had a poor season he's our most influential player really in terms of getting forward um, then in the midfield I would take Henderson out and play Fabinho and then obviously keep Thiago in um, because I think Fabinho, while he has looked a bit leggy, he looked lo- a lot fresher when he came on last night. I, I know we were 2-0 up and things like that, but if we can give him a rest, it might kind of jolt him back into what he has been before. Uh, and then I would go the same the same front four, I think. I think, like I mentioned, we'd look better with Nunez on the pitch. Um, Diaz is just... I had kind of concerns when we did sign him. I remember speaking to, I think it was Reese, and I was like, I don't know if I really want him, but the guy's just electric. Like, he just makes things happen. He's relentless. Um, Salah then on the right-hand side, and then Jota has looked exceptional in that sort of, like, second striker role, like his ability to find space, receive the ball, turn, and then find the pass, or kind of run at people is is really underrated I think I think people a lot of people have been quite critical of him on the ball and build up and seen him more of just a finisher but I think I think he's kind of underrated on the ball as well it's an aesthetic thing because he kind of he doesn't look smooth like Firmino on him a little bit like Martinelli in a way <laughs> actually it's, it's that dribbling style like it's like when people don't think Salah can dribble but he can it's just because he's not really his ability to just yeah exactly it's not as as aesthetically pleasing as like a guy like Hazard or or someone like that but it's still effective so it doesn't really bother me yeah yeah another player who we haven't really touched on who I do want to quickly chat chat about is Thiago because like you said about how much better as a team you guys look when Nunez is on the pitch Uh, from what little Liverpool I've seen this season and it's not much like you guys are a completely different side when Thiago is in the side, to what I can see. Like, he's he, when he can get on the pitch, he's still just, like, so good. <laughs> just on the ball, he's amazing. You know what, this is, this is so fake from Towels, because when we did our first episode, he said his favourite moment of that weekend was when Palhinha tackled Thiago, and wasn't Thiago out for, like, a month? So this guy's just smooching right now. This is the fakest thing I've ever seen. He was... <laughs> no, no, his no. Favorite... I, I really like Thiago. He's so silky. <laughs> his... But it was really funny when he got absolutely bodied by Polina. <laughs> Both things could be true. Yeah, I, I, I wrote about this yesterday. I don't know how sort of our most important player or most, re- like, the, the player that the kind of our success hinders on has played, like, 25% of the minutes available to him since he joined Liverpool. Like, that's how crucial this guy that's is. Crazy. And that's how unreliable he is. Like, we look like... We don't even look like a football team if he's not on the pitch in midfield. Like, there's nobody that can get on the ball. Obviously, Naby has been out, so we've not really had him to kind of compensate for Thiago being out, because... If one of them's on the pitch, you've got a midfielder that can actually like move the ball forward. But if we don't have either of them, then it just doesn't work. Um, the midfield like actively slows down attacks. It doesn't find the players in front of it, and it. I think an underrated part of Thiago's game is how good he is defensively. Like he is positioning smart, and he always ranks quite highly for like actual direct like defensive actions like tackles interceptions things like that winning headers is another thing yeah so for a guy that's not very tall like he wins his aerial ability is really good so yeah he's very key to this team and it's sort of sad because i think most liverpool fans just expect him to pull up in like a game at some point soon so when that'll be I i don't know because his whole career he's never been able to stay on the pitch if we can keep him on the pitch we'll be a lot better the last thing I kind of want to just touch on is that I think it's probably going to be the most interesting like side of the match, at least at least from an Arsenal point of view, is, is your right side has kind of sucked. I mean, I know Trent's great, and I know that defending hasn't been his whole job and stuff, but I also think he's kind of dropped a level in terms of like maybe just even effort. I mean, you've watched more than me, um, obviously. But I think it's, it's not only been him. I mean, it's also been like just generally the right side of your defense, the right center back. Um, and whoever's obviously Salah doesn't really protect the right flank. That's not what he's there for. 
But I guess Fabinho's been bad at covering those spaces as he's just in general kind of dropped off. Like that's also kind of where, from a tactical point at least, where we're most like dangerous, just the kind of rotations that we can kind of pull out and like pull teams out of shape. I'm kind of interested to see how that kind of happens. And at the same time, I think it's also, if you guys do win the ball and get the ball down quickly, it's also where you guys can kind of hurt us. If you get situations where it's like Salah, um, kind of finding that space in between like Zinchenko and and Gabriel. Yeah, I think um, another point with that right hand side this season has been Harvey Elliott started most of the games mm-hmm. in that three in midfield, and yeah, I was trying to remember. He is like exceptional going forward. I think he's got like this. I think he's only second by De Bruyne and sort of like progressive actions for midfielders, but he doesn't really know how to defend. I mean, he spent his loan season in the championship at Blackburn as a right winger. So he's not really disciplined enough to sort of track runners or anything like that. And it has left Trent exposed. And Trent has looked worse defensively than usual this season. Like, there's no doubt about that. And I think, like I mentioned, like the timings of the defending has been all off. Like, it's really easy to just make a run and someone will push up and someone will go deep and it just won't work. Trent kind of finds himself in like weird positions in no man's land. Like even in, in places where he should be coming back to defend, he doesn't really take the right spots. And with guys like, I mean, this this feels like the most confident I've ever gone into like a livable game. And I feel like it's going to backfire on me big. So I'm speaking big right now, but like, but, but it's just, it's, it's, it's an exciting thing, at least for me to think about like what we could kind of do there, especially with Gabriel coming out wide. Um, Gabriel, yes, he's sorry. We've got a lot of them. Um, yeah, just the sort of things that we can kind of do there. I feel like that would, would potentially, that is probably where I think you guys will be weakest just from a, to be honest, a player like quality, like a point of view in terms of like, if you have that right block of players, being able to defend those sort of like rotations is probably not something they have a strength in. Obviously, that changes a little bit with depending on how like you guys set up. Yeah, I think that's why I think we might switch to that four four two again. Um, just because there did look to be a bit more balance in covering Trent does, and I think there was sort of an average position thing I saw this morning where Trent's average position was in his own half and that must be the first time in so long that that's been the case. Like, he's usually mm-hmm. basically a central midfielder. I mean, like, he's sometimes at the base of the midfield, like, so narrow, so central. So I think we have kind of noticed it from a tactical point of view and not just been like, oh, Trent's been bad this season. Like, we must start someone else there, like Milner. So yeah, I think there has been sort of sweat that well. That we do have Calvin Ramsey, but he's like play, only played for Aberdeen and been injured all preseason. So yeah, the backup that's like twelve. Yeah, so the backup <laughs> is either you play Joe Gomez, who is a centre back and can't attack really. Like he's had some okay moments going forward, but he's not great there. Or Milner, who, I mean, is thirty-seven years old. Yeah. Um. So let's leave the discussion there, and we will end it with the way that I love to end it, and Alex hates to end it, I'm going to ask you to predict the result. Uh, I'm going to go first, because uh, it became... It didn't become a bit, because no one else laughed at it, but I was amused by the fact that I often predicted a 3-1 Arsenal win, uh, and then last week I didn't predict a 3-1 Arsenal win, and we won 3-1. So I'm going to predict a 3-1 Arsenal win. Cheers. Um, Alex? For me, I don't know, because I think, I feel, I don't know if I'm like superstitious or whatever, but I actually feel pretty confident about this game. But I feel like as soon as I, I say a score, it's just going to backfire. It's going to be Darwin Nunez, like, hat-trick or matching you know how you can... goal total within like 90 minutes. Um, but let me let me say, I think it'll be like a 2-1 win, and I'll put that there. <laughs> 2-1. Uh, up to you, Danny. Uh, I... Every bone in my body says we get beat because you guys look a lot better and we have not looked good at all. But, do you know what? I, I think, historically, we've got quite a few players that really like playing against Arsenal. So I'll, I'll say we'll draw 1-1 and, we'll, and Jota will get his goal against Arsenal again. <laughs> <laughs> I think, obviously, now we've all had these predictions, what's going to happen is Darwin Nunez is going to find... William Saliba's buttons and push him perfectly to get him sent off to actually make the calmest man on the planet 
angry and get <laughs> Saliba sent off, and then you guys are going to win 3-0. That, that's how this is going to work now, of course, but they, we've made our predictions. What's done is done. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks so much for coming on, Danny. Um, if people want to find more of you, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Kelchio underscore Danny. Or you can listen to me and Reese, who was on this last week, on the Pure Football podcast. Yes, we have absolutely uh, done the Pure Football rounds, uh, and now it's done. Uh, we will not be going back. Tick. Never again. <laughs> uh, but thanks so much for coming on. I can't believe you guys risked two Scottish people in one week on the podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really testing yeah. the listeners ears that's ah, fine it's fine <laughs> anyway uh, thank you for coming on we're only joking we'll have you on next time when Kieran Tierney scores a hat trick for Scotland that's when we'll get you back <laughs> but uh, thanks for being on uh, Alex thanks as always for being smarter than me you can find him on Twitter at AlexFRCO you can find me on Twitter at AlexTowels though I don't know why you'd want to I just tweet about Football Manager on my circle uh, and if you want to find us next week we'll be back with a very special guest I think the biggest name guest we've had so far on next week which is mildly terrifying but also very exciting I should definitely uh, follow up with him on that I will do some yes <laughs> yeah we really should get on get on organising that uh, so keep an eye out for that one next week uh, and of course the other other thing to tick off of my end of show pod I, I should record these uh, like Aaron Moniz pre-records his end cards I should start doing that uh, James Blake makes our music you can find him on all, all good music platforms we'll be back next week see you later <laughs>